Hey, everybody. It's NASA engineer and former Miss Mississippi USA 2013 Paramita Mitra. And you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, TV and pageant host, entrepreneur, author, and somebody who just wants to help you become better. Now, if you're wondering what life looks like after pageants, the advice, the stories, and the interviews that you hear on this podcast will not only inspire you, but help make your transition from pageants to professional life a bit easier to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us. Let's get started. My guest today works at NASA's Johnson Space Center as a human interface engineer on the informatics subsystem for NASA's next-generation spacesuits. Sounds like a smart person's job, doesn't it? Her research (laughs) encompasses graphical displays, wearable technology, augmented reality, and developing a heads-up display helmet apparatus to aid in astronaut performance, cognitive workload, and user experience. Sounds super easy, doesn't it? She has held positions working as an engineer on F-35 jet engines, designing Earth science satellites, and analyzing human psychophysiology and cognitive behavior for software development. A first-generation immigrant from Dhaka, Bangladesh, she represented the state of Mississippi at the Miss USA and Miss Teen USA pageants as Miss Mississippi USA 2013 and Miss Mississippi Teen USA 2009, where she traveled to spread awareness on STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math literacy topics. She holds a bachelor's and master's degree in aerospace engineering from Mississippi State University, and her passions include diversity in tech and issues of femininity in engineering. Paramita Mitra, I think you are probably the smartest guest I have ever had on the podcast. Honored to have you on today. Uh, Thank you so much, and um, I appreciate that comment, but I think everyone has their own talents and intelligence in their own way. So well, certainly, I really appreciate that. Yeah, hey, you're welcome. You've certainly made something of yourself. Now, uh, I want to start uh, kind of back from your beginning here in America. You immigrated with your family to America when you were one years old. Um, talk about the road uh, that you traveled as a child to eventually want to compete in pageants. Yeah. So um, Bangladesh, as a lot of you may know, is a country right next to India. It's in Southeast Asia. So pageants just in general in India and in that culture are huge. Um, And so I've always been familiar with them, but uh, my family and I moved to the United States when I was one, we moved back and forth. And then permanently when I was five, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama. My dad was um, getting his PhD at UAB there. And so really just growing up, uh, we were new to America (laughs) as a country and um, we were very a close-knit family, and so we completely uprooted our lives from that country, from Bangladesh. So moving to America, you have to kind of meet new people, meet new friends. There's no family here. And so we would do things as a family unit, and one of those things was going to a planetarium, a nearby planetarium. And my brother was really curious about astronomy, and so that kind of was pretty contagious, and uh, he really influenced me and in asking the right questions in science and in astronomy. And um, that's really how we got interested in space exploration. And so I guess throughout high school, I had always thought I was going to be a doctor and follow in my father's footsteps and be in the medical field because it was pretty fascinating to me. But also having Asian parents, you kind of get told, you know, like (laughs) doctor, lawyer, engineer. And but 
honestly, I, I took this physics class in high school and I was absolutely terrified because in high school, I wasn't really like one of the top students. I wasn't in all AP classes or anything like that. I had a pretty average ACT score. I took the physics class and my professor there, she was a woman and she was just like, hey, like, why don't you look into engineering? And I joined the robotics team and kind of fell in love with it and combined astronomy and engineering into aerospace engineering. So that's like the long and short of it. But that's pretty much where that where that interest really stemmed. And then pageants kind of fell in as just like a, a hobby on the side because in South Mississippi, you really, everyone does pageants in Mississippi. We had a beauty and bow review at our high school. And so I was involved in that. But then um, specifically in the Teen USA program, I was at a dress shop uh, shopping for a homecoming outfit. And um, the dress shop owner asked me um, if I was would consider Miss Teen USA. And so I, I, I entered the pageant and I won Miss Mississippi team on my first try. I was shocked. I had no idea what I'd gotten myself into. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I went to nationals um, and I really enjoyed it and just kind of understood like really the impact that you can have on people's lives, just wearing a crown and talking to kids. They kind of, they, they're, they're very receptive to whatever you have to say. So it's a really, I noticed that it was a really great opportunity to um, enter the world of pageants and to try to make a big impact or change. Well, and I think you definitely did that. So you were the first contestant, as I read, from Bangladesh to compete at Miss USA. Um, With that being said, I mean, what kind of an honor is that for you, but also for your country? It's an incredible honor. Again, the pageant world is really popular in Bangladesh and in India, but to have a contestant on a national stage to my country, uh, when I went home during while during my reign as Miss Mississippi USA, uh, everyone was, I was so well received. There was a huge press conference. There were multiple uh, news interviews. And so I think it's a really soft spot spot in my heart when I talk about it, but it was um, an incredible opportunity just to be able to go back home during my reign and see how well received I I was. And um, specifically, coming from a country with a primarily Muslim population. And so uh, it was an honor and uh, something that I'm really happy that I got to do. Well, I actually saw a YouTube video, a big news report uh, of you this morning. I believe it was done in Bangladesh. <laughs> I, is, it, is your home language, is it Bengali? Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. So I speak Bengali. That was my first language. And then I learned English when we got to the United States. Yeah, because I watched it and I had no idea what you were saying, but it was interesting. You know, they had a lot of visuals that certainly <laughs> you know, talked about your, your path. Now, you traveled during your reign as Miss Mississippi. Um, and you spread awareness about what we talked about earlier in the intro, which was STEAM, uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Why are those topics uh, specifically so important to you to want to share with kids? I think that in the world of STEM, as a lot of people reference it, or STEAM specifically, having that arts component is very important. And that's kind of what Paget introduced to my life was that form of self-expression, that form of art, 
being able to do your makeup in itself is an art, being able to come up with your entire own image. Um, I keep up with the drag community a lot. And in a sense, (laughs) I like to relate it to the pageant world. And so, um, but getting back to STEAM, um, specifically, I chose to for STEM or STEAM to be my platform because, like I said, in high school, I wasn't the star student. I was not very good at that physics class that motivated me to become an engineer because I had no self-confidence in my own intellect because I as a pageant girl and as as we're often told that we are our our life goal is to be a beautiful person and that's and aesthetically pleasing like that's kind of an expectation of being a pageant girl but on top of that what are your other talents and so I knew that I'd always had this interest in in science and technology and engineering and math but I never felt that I was going to fit into that box because I had this completely different um, interest that was beauty pageants. And so when I did finally realize that math is something that's learnable, physics is something that is learnable, there's always a right and wrong answer. And you can get to that answer as long as you practice. It's just like practicing anything else. And so I think it's really important that women specifically understand that they can contribute to the world of STEM or STEAM. And um, so that's really what I wanted to be able to vocalize while I was doing the pageants and show that women in general, we are so dynamic, we don't need to fit into these boxes that define who we are or categorize ourselves. And so I think that's really important to show from from the world of STEM. And, and so also on top of that, I think it's really important to have female representation in STEM and STEAM, because if we are designing technologies for all of humankind, specifically in space exploration, and we don't have all of humankind's representation being at present within the workforce, then we aren't actually contributing and solving the right problems. And so I think that uh, leaving out an entire female population in science and is um, is a detriment to society. Well, and, and speaking of that, you work for NASA. Um, I just read an article yesterday that I believe they're getting ready to send up two female astronauts. Is that right? Yeah. So it's Women's History Month. Um, and so NASA has been really celebratory about it. But one of the events that's happening is when astronauts leave the their spacecraft is called a spacewalk or an EVA. And so they typically put on the spacesuit and leave the spacecraft and go do an engineering task or fix something on the International Space Station. And um, there are two female engineers doing a spacewalk together. And that's the first time in history that two of the crew members have been female. And so that's really exciting. And I think that's happening this week sometime. Well, and you talk about female representation in, in, in STEAM and STEM and in the arts. Um, I would be interested to know from your standpoint, and I know that, you know, in our culture today, um, you know, the the feminist movement and the women's empowerment movement is huge right now. And it's a big deal. And I think it's great. I would love to know from your standpoint, did you ever feel like growing up in Mississippi and going through high school and college, did you feel like women were uh, pushed aside when it came to science? Well, it's not as much as how much what I feel is, is to just looking at the numbers and the representation in the STEM field, specifically in engineering. Whenever I, on my freshman, on my first day of aerospace engineering in my freshman year, 
I walked into a class of 80 men and there were of those men, I think six of us were female. And so that in itself was just, you felt ostracized and you felt like you didn't belong. And so just in my personal life, I had a father who was a medical doctor and a, a, a professor, a college professor. And my mother, they were both very encouraging for me to pursue really what I was passionate about, and that was engineering. So the representation certainly is not there. But you're changing that. I hope to contribute to a part of that small problem. But um, like we talked about earlier, uh, Cara McCullough, she's, she's also been a really great representation on the Miss Universe platform. So that's been really nice to see. Uh, having been a has been. <laughs> <laughs> well, you two are definitely representing well, and I'm, you know, when it comes to STEM, I know just just you two alone have brought a lot of awareness to it just through uh, competing at Miss USA. Um, I know the Miss Universe organization has done some blog articles on the two of you um, about that very specific thing. So it's it's definitely uh, making some change. Now, you by trade are an engineer. You graduated from Mississippi State University with a master's in aerospace engineering. Um, and you, you hit on it a little bit earlier, but I'd love to know what was the exact motivation to want to get into uh, specifically aerospace engineering for you? Again, loved astronomy. Our family went to the planetarium to just pass time when we were new to the country. And so it just kind of became a tradition in our family to go on monthly planetarium trips. But I had this other side of me that really wanted to be a medical doctor and follow in my father's footsteps. But getting to high school, I realized that taking that and in taking that physics class, I joined the robotics team and I, I was introduced to the world of engineering because originally when I heard the word engineering, I always thought of like, a train conductor or something like that, you know, <laughs> like that's, I feel like what a lot of people think engineering is like, they think that you're only uh, like, you're like fixing things or working on things and engineering in itself as a, as a field I've learned is I specifically designed human interfaces for displays that the astronaut wears. I work on the spacesuit. It's a beautiful uh, problem to solve. It involves human psychology, it involves the biomedical field, it involves aerospace engineering, it involves understanding the medical aspect of the astronaut and all of these designs specifically for the interfaces and the displays that I create and the beauty of design. And, and so this world of tech and this world of humans and aerospace is not just building and fixing things, but it's, it's a really great creative outlet and an art form in its sense. And so that's kind of how I was introduced to engineering, and it just stuck. I combined my love for astronomy and really tried to understand what engineering was. And, yeah, so I, that's kind of how I came to that conclusion, that I would enter aerospace engineering. Well, you talked about going to the planetarium as a kid. I grew up in St. Louis. We had a science center with a planetarium, and I thought it was the coolest and most fun thing to do. I would always ask my parents to go. Was that the thing that really, like, just got you jazzed about what the possibilities yeah. in the universe were? Yes, definitely. It was. Uh, there's so much to know and to learn about our universe, and it being involved in aerospace engineering and being and working at NASA and pushing forth our human race and humankind into our universe and into our solar system 
is making sure that if ever and when planet Earth is no longer here, but that we as a human race can continue to survive. And so like, I think that's just a huge problem that keeps me up at night. And uh, astronomy introduced that to me. And you're from St. Louis. We actually lived in St. Louis a little while too. So No kidding. Small world. Yeah, yeah. So you've been to that planetarium? Yes. Yeah, we have. Very good. Very good. That's super cool. Small world. Well, uh, recently you had the chance to combine your beauty pageant background with your current aerospace engineering background. You gave your first TEDx talk at Valparaiso University, and it was entitled What Beauty Pageants Taught Me About Engineering, which is a fascinating title. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you want to yeah. give us the cliff notes, I'd just kind of love to, to hear about you know the, the substance yeah. of that speech. So just to give you a little bit of a preface, when I was asked to do this TEDx, I was so confused as to whether I was going to make this a talk about my technical background and all the research I've done or whether I was going to talk about my pageant life and growing up as an immigrant. Like I, there were so many things. I was trying to like divide the two and split the two apart from each other. But then I was just like, actually, the entire purpose of my life and what I do at NASA, so many parts of it I succeed at because of what I learned through pageant. And so that's kind of how I came about the title of the talk. And it was just like a eureka moment. Um, but essentially kind of what I talked about in the TEDx is, so I designed for extreme environment in human space exploration. When an astronaut is doing a spacewalk, they are in a very extreme environment in the vacuum of space in extreme cold and extreme hot. And they're having to protect themselves from the vacuum of space, from space debris that's hitting them, um, just lots of things. And so in that sense, I kind of paralleled how extreme environments in general affect us as humans. And so the pageant world is a very extreme environment. And so I kind of just talked about how training for an extreme environment is really important, what that teaches you, what overcoming adversity teaches you. And so I talked about how the pageant world introduced being able to be a better communicator. And also it taught me to train really hard for anything. And so communication in the world of science is specifically at NASA is very important because just on a day-to-day life as an engineer, you're having to give a presentation all the time. And you're always having to relay your very complex ideas to management, to other people, other engineers. And you have to do that very quickly and think on your feet. And we do that in onstage questions. (laughs) And we do that in interviews. (laughs) And we do do that when we're at an appearance. And we do that all the time as a pageant girl, as a, as a pageant contestant. And I also so I talked about the importance of communication. And then another really big point of this talk was um, the importance of training. And so I kind of get into what we experience when we're at Miss USA for those three weeks or when I, it was three weeks when I was there in Vegas um, in 2013 and how we have rehearsals all day and then we have a 3 a.m. call time but then all the while we're also making sure to keep up with our physical fitness we're we're counting our macros we're practicing our on-stage question we're practicing walk we're getting ready for interview all in parallel all during rehearsals and we're doing b-roll uh, filming and you have this it's just all of these things happening, but all the while you have to make sure that you're training and um, you're training for multiple years just to be able to win your state title, let alone the national title or international if you ever get there. And so that level of training is extreme and it's what astronauts go through, but all, also it's that level of training and consistency and commitment and dedication is what you experience when you're going through 
an aerospace engineering degree. It's very grueling. It's a lot of meticulous homework that you have to do. And just being able to have that mindset and that mentality is something that I learned from beauty pageants. It's like and hell so, week for the Navy SEALs. It, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. But it was like a hell six years of grad school and undergrad. So. Oh, I, can, I can only imagine. Now, can people find this TEDx Tech on YouTube? So the production video will be out very soon. It's actually on TEDx Valparaiso's uh, Facebook Live. And so the production video will be out soon, though. Um, and by soon, I mean within this month. And it should be out hopefully by the end of March. Sure. Um, okay. But if you want to hear a, a low quality version of it, then that's on TEDx Valparaiso's. Facebook page. It's one of their live videos from their streaming. And um, I don't remember which one, but I'm at like minute 24. Well, whenever so. you get the uh, the high production, one, send <laughs> it to me and I'll be happy to share it with the audience because I know they would love to see it. Yeah, awesome. I'll do that for sure. Okay. So you mentioned something earlier. I, I do want to dive into it a little bit because um, I've just been checking the analytics on my podcast lately. I have people from all over the world that listen to this from Australia to Asia to South America to Europe. And you are somebody who grew up in Bangladesh. You were part of an immigrant family. Immigration is obviously a huge hot topic right now in the United States. And, you know, growing up in Mississippi, of all places, I would just love to know, what was it, what is it like for you to say how you grew up in America and that experience? Well, it took my family and I uh, 14 years to become a citizen. And that is a very long amount of time. And thank goodness my, my father came here on, uh, they call it the EB-1, I think. It's like the genius visa. Yeah. And so I got really, I'm incredibly privileged to have a father who got a visa that way. But if you don't, then, and if you're not deemed talented or um, useful to our country, then you have to go through an incredibly more arduous process to become an immigrant, uh, to become a legal immigrant. And for me, I think my opinion on that is that there should be some reform to the process, extremely arduous process that it takes to become a legal immigrant. Um, and I think that would resolve a lot of issues. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to embrace different viewpoints and cultures. And um, I think you had mentioned something about growing up in South Mississippi as a Bangladeshi immigrant. There was times where I felt like I was so at home because of the hospitality of the state of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. We're known as the hospitality state. And I have my closest friends are Mississippians, but there were times as Miss Mississippi where I would get hate mail and messages online, um, death threat, uh, because I didn't look like a Miss Mississippi. And so that was really hard to witness because it's your own state and you're representing as an ambassador to that state. And so, wow, I've never actually talked about this out loud. So this is <laughs> it's, cool. it's okay. It's okay. I appreciate you sharing um, it. Yeah. So um, just to be completely straightforward. There were times where things would get taken out of context of what, I don't know, just so it, was, it was really mixed emotions there. Just kind of, I, there was times where I felt completely at home and times where I felt completely ostracized from my state. So let's talk about your job at NASA because it's, uh, quite frankly, it's your dream job, which is super cool that you have that. Um, and in, in my experience, most people, you know, they had being an astronaut or working at NASA as part of their childhood dreams, but very few, if any, ever actually get to do it and here you are doing it today. What was it like when you got the call that, hey, you're going to be actually working at NASA? Oh, well, it was the happiest moment of my life. It literally felt like winning Miss Mississippi all over again, but times a million because I'm here forever. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> when you... <laughs> 
And so when I got the call, so the way that becoming a civil servant or a federal employee at NASA works when you're a student. So I got the, I got a co-op as a graduate student. And so when you, it's called the Pathways Intern Program. And so if you become a Pathways Co-op, you're pretty much guaranteed, I think there's like a 90 something percent chance that you're going to get a full-time offer. So getting that internship, that co-op is, was the real moment. And so everyone kind of talks about that at work is like, where were you? Do you remember what you were doing? I was actually interning at NASA as a non-Pathways intern, and I was working this event where I was actually emceeing a panel of like really (laughs) highly qualified engineers and people that worked in mission control and flight directors and astronauts, and they were all sitting on this panel, and I was in charge of the event. I was about to emcee on stage and speak on a microphone, And then I got a phone call and I was like, guys, I got to stop the event because this is my full-time offer. And everyone just was there to watch me answer the phone. And um, there's this really well-known engineer here, Ginger Carrick. She used to work in mission control as a Capcom, which means she spoke to the astronauts from mission control. Mm -hmm. So that's a really big job here. And she announced it to the audience that I got my phone call and that I got the offer (laughs) <laughs> and everyone clapped, and it was just a big to-do. I was in tears. I was crying. I called my family. Like, it was just a lot. But I had to continue and proceed on with emceeing that event. So it, was, it wasn't until later on that I could actually celebrate. Yeah, but keeping yeah, your composure was probably pretty tough at that point. <laughs> exactly. But it, it, it definitely felt like a crowning moment. Wow, what a cool, cool experience. I'm sure that'll live on <laughs> yeah. forever. You, you'll be able to tell your grandkids about that one. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you're what's called a human interface engineer, which, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it, it encompasses a lot of jobs. So I guess <laughs> maybe the best way for somebody listening to, to kind of just understand what you do is let's just walk through a day at NASA for you. What, what are you doing? Like, for instance, what will you do today? So today, um, I work specifically on the spacesuit. So how it works at NASA, specifically at Johnson, there's there's different groups that do different things, but there's primarily there's the operations folks and they work in mission control. And then I'm on the engineering side of things. So that's the other side. Um, but I, as an engineer, I'm also, an, I was hired as an aerospace engineer, but my title is human interface. So whatever that means, essentially, like I my job to the, right now is working in a wearable technology lab. That's half my time. And the other half, I work on the spacesuit. And so on the spacesuit, I am a human interface engineer. Today, I'll be going to a spacesuit meeting to discuss some of the risks that uh, if we don't implement certain technologies or if we don't meet certain timelines or schedules, what's going to happen and how that's going to push back our development on this new spacesuit. Uh, so that's what, what's on my agenda for the rest of today. Um, but really my main job and why I was hired, I started working with NASA um, when I was in grad school. Before I ever even entered grad school, I, I knew that I wanted to work in this like realm of humans and aerospace and work possibly on the spacesuit. That was kind of the pipe dream. And so I, before I ever had entered grad school and through all of my pageant experience and um, being writing professional emails, corresponding with multiple people and communicating and networking. I learned all of that through pageants, but I was able to apply that to grad school. Whenever I was entering grad school, I was seeking out different NASA projects that needed a grad student on them or needed free work done on them. So I connected with the spacesuit engineer. 
And one thing led to another, and they let me be the grad student that was working on these heads-up displays. So if you've ever seen Iron Man, Tony Stark has... <laughs> <That's> to... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, I'm not Tony Stark yet. But if you've seen, ever seen Iron Man, he's got that like screen inside of his helmet that mm-hmm. tells him it, Jarvis. Is, yes. was the, I think the assistant's name and so Jarvis like feeds you all of this information and tells you uh, your body temperature and all of these things that are useful to, to Iron Man and to Tony Stark whenever he's in his full suit and so similarly we'd like to do something like that for astronauts because again a lot of astronauts describe doing a spacewalk like uh, brain surgery and running a marathon at the same time <laughs> and so it's a very hard task and to help them with that, they need something that's like a decision aid that feeds information from mission control, that shows them their consumables on their suit, that shows them their biological information. And so something like that in the world of suits could be a heads-up display or what I'm developing now. And so that's my job is to develop that heads-up display, put it in the helmet, get it working. And that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. Well, I think you should definitely call and find out. I I can't remember the actor's name that's the voice of Jarvis, but how perfect would that be if you could just use his voice for what you're doing? I know, I know. And I like (laughs) joke about it. And so the other day I had to like give a name to this heads-up display. And I think I'm going to make a Jarvis acronym <laughs> and it's going to be something like joint augmented reality visual and dramatic system. But I just made something <laughs> off literally just to be able to call it Jarvis. I love it. So. That's fantastic. Well, very cool. Very cool. Now you've also worked on, I think we said uh, F-35 jet engines. Now uh, from what I know, that's basically the world's most advanced jet fighter, correct? It is. It is. So what, um, do you, what do you do on the engines? Because I, I know they got incredible horsepower. Yeah, so I actually was, um, this is my first internship ever. I worked at an Air Force base, and what we did was we tested those engines and ran them at different conditions until they broke. <laughs> and so we, <laughs> Mach five. What, what I worked on, yeah, exactly. So I was uh, on the team that tested uh, those engines specifically. And yeah, it was it was a really cool project. It was my first internship, so I learned a lot. It was at an Air Force base, which is very different from working in the space industry. And it was a lot more strict. And actually, that was the first internship I ever had right after I gave up my crown for Miss Mississippi USA. And so I actually experienced some really hard things at that job, speaking from a social perspective, because I was also one of the only females on site. And there were people that it's an alpha male dominated industry. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. People thought that that was not okay to be there. And you're like, well, watch me. And they said I was, yeah. And and so, yeah, there was a point where HR came to my office and they were like, you're a distraction at work because of who you are. Because you're pretty or because you're a girl? Yep. I think it was the the first point there. You can say Um, it. It's okay. You're pretty. It's okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it was just after the pageant stuff, the... You, you have a certain way that you dress and you look that you like to keep up with. I think as pageant contestants, we appreciate that we look put together. Like if I look Oh, so together, they wanted you to kind of dress it down a little bit. Yeah, so pretty much, yeah. They, they wanted to dress it down. In addition to the F-35s, uh, this one's fascinating to me that you've worked and basically designed satellites. Now, I live in Colorado, and when we go up into the mountains, as you can imagine, <laughs> the, the view up there is incredible with the stars, but... Every, you know, 15 minutes, I will watch a satellite go literally across the entire sky. And I just, I always find it so fascinating that we we shoot those things up there and they just rotate the earth. What's it like to work on one and design one? It's a really big problem 
to uh, digest. This was at my first NASA internship in Huntsville, Alabama at NASA Marshall. So just if you don't know, there's 10 different NASA centers all over the United States. So the, and you're at Johnson in Texas. In Houston, Texas. Yep. Okay. And so uh, to work on a satellite is there's different design phases that you can go through at NASA. But the where I was entering it is all the way at the beginning. So we were really trying to understand how this satellite, what, what, what did we want it to do? What kind of problems do we want this satellite to solve? And so um, one of the things that we decided that we wanted this satellite to do is measure certain levels of radiation whenever you get into Earth's atmosphere into certain orbit, um, because radiation is really harmful to spacecraft and it's very harmful to the human body whenever astronauts are in orbit. Um, it's something that we always have to protect for in human spaceflight. But so, yeah, we kind of came up with what, what kind of problem we wanted the satellite to solve. And so it had a suite of instruments on it that would um, measure and map out all across different orbits what levels of radiation were in these certain orbits and in these certain uh, atmospheric conditions. So, yeah, that's what the satellite did. But essentially, like, my job was to just really develop it from ground up, make sure I knew what all of the instruments were on the, all the science instruments were, how much power was needed to power all of them, how big the satellite needed to be, how big the solar arrays needed to be to be able to power all of this. And there's this handbook that everyone in aerospace uses. It's called SMAD. It's kind of like the Bible for building a spacecraft. Mm -hmm. And it's called SMAD. Space, spacecraft mission analysis and design or something and so you just like read that book and kind of and it gives you processes to consider and things like that so um, that without that book I would have not been able to do any of it but yeah so all of this engineering stuff can be pretty I guess intimidating if you don't have any sort of resources to base them off of but it's not like it's not like school where you can't where you can't have an open book test um, when you're in the work real work environment you're given lots of resources and you're able to use all of them so it's not as intimidating when you're approaching a big problem like that so coming from the pageant world now working in the engineering field working for NASA uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who say you know I would love to know somebody who I could you know talk to or, or learn about or maybe even get mentored from do you do anything with other pageant contestants to kind of help them get into the field uh, yes actually there's some after the TEDx talk, um, Kristen Leva, she was Miss New Mexico, USA 2018, I think this past year. And she reached out to me because we have a very similar background. She has a, she's getting her graduate degree in mechanical engineering and um, she works for the military. And she's also a federal employee, um, I think, for the Army uh, as an engineer. And so we kind of just shared, like whenever we connected, we cut, it was the first person that I'd really ever I've been able to speak with in the pageant community that had such a similar background. And so it was just like really cathartic to be able to go through conversations with her about Miss USA, about how our lives are in engineering as pageant girls. And so it, it was really neat that the Miss USA sisterhood kind of continues on year after year. Um, and I was able to meet her because of pageant um, out of all things. <laughs> and so I've been kind of helping her looking into her research interests and things like that. So it's been really cool. Well, look, just to listen to you describe all this stuff, super fascinating. Congratulations on getting your dream job. I mean, that, honestly, that I'm sure so many listening who want to go into this field are just like, how can I be Paramitra? So, I mean, congratulations on that. Awesome job. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's, uh, the pageant world helped me a lot. It certainly did. 
So let's talk beyond NASA here a little bit. You can speak four different languages. You are trained in piano, clarinet, and drums. Um, you, <laughs> I mean, honestly, you sound like one of those child prodigies that we hardly ever hear about. Um, was all this instilled by your parents? Was it just, Are these just natural gifts that you have? I mean, I'd love to hear about it from your standpoint. So I think one of the my driving factors in like anything that I do is that because I got to come to America and be an American citizen, you have just a world of opportunity here. You can do anything that you want because we have public education. We have electricity in our houses. We have government assistant programs and you are given the ability to become the best of whatever person you want to be. And I think that's really important. And so if I was introduced to something, to anything, whether it was piano lessons or clarinet or being a part of the band in high school or being a cheerleader or all of those things, I wanted to do all of it and understand what my opportunities were. And so I think that was really my driving force and that that's what my parents taught me was, you, look, you've got this crazy opportunity that none of your other 32 cousins are getting. None of your 15 aunts and uncles have gotten. None of your family back in Bangladesh is getting because you live in a free country. And, and so that's really what motivated me to do everything that I possibly could. I guess that's kind of how I approach any problem that I'm, that I'm faced with. So you're basically a product honest. of the American dream. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely what what drives me. It's why I get up in the morning. It's why I go to sleep at night. It's why I come to work every day. Well, that's a really cool testimony. I appreciate you saying that. Mm -hmm. Real quick, before we get into our rapid fire questions here, did you know that there's another Paramita Mitra who is well known? Really? <laughs> what, uh, what are the chances of that? What the heck? <laughs> so I found her while I was researching you this morning. She has the exact same name, but she is the head of digital marketing at HP or Hewlett Packard. Ah, okay. That's yeah. So if you look her up, I was like, wait a minute, who is because I, okay, I, I was girl. confused for a second. I'm like, do they have. But I mean, you know, you have a pretty unique name. I was really surprised yeah. to find somebody else who was, you know, famous in, in her own respect that had the same name. That's awesome. Right. OK, so time for rapid fire. Get to know you questions. It's kind of like a game show speed cool. round. It's basically the, the gist of it. It's all for fun. So uh, you get to put aside the uh, the smarts real quick and just have fun with this one. OK. OK. All right. Here we go. What's your favorite word to say in Bengali? Which means? Lizard. <laughs> Say it again. Oh my gosh, I couldn't even repeat that if I tried. <laughs> Very good. Number two, texting or talking, which is your favorite? Talking. Good. Number three, favorite day of the week for you? Friday. <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree with that. Yeah. Number four, favorite city in the United States besides the ones that you have lived in? Mm, this is a tough one. Yeah. I really like LA. I, I haven't lived there yet. I, I would say Boston if it was a city. That I've, I've only lived there for a summer, but I really loved Boston when I interned there. Um, but in LA, I would say that for sure. So pretty much a coastal girl. Yeah, I just really like hot weather. It's my habitat coming from Bangladesh. I was and I would definitely choose LA over Boston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, number five, nickname that your parents used to call you, if you had one. Um, okay, so in Bangladesh, we have uh, good names, or Palonam is what it's called, but um, it's just another name that your family calls you that's not on your birth certificate. So that name that everyone calls me in the Bengali community is Arpa. It's spelled A-R-P-A. So that's my other name. Arpa, almost like Arp, but yeah. Arpa. Yeah, Arpa. Got mm -hmm. it. Uh, number six, the last song you downloaded or listened to. Um, 
I think it's called Talk by, uh, let's see, what's on my Spotify? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's called uh, Talk by Khaled and Disclosure. I love okay. that song. Very good. Number seven, would you rather be able to speak every language, which you're about halfway to already in the world, or would you be, rather be able to talk to animals? Talk to animals, for sure. Any animal in particular? Uh, I have a cat named Tycho, and he's my best friend. <laughs> you wish you could talk to him, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Number eight, favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas, because it's not something I get to experience in Bangladesh. So really cool how big of a deal it is in America. Oh, yeah, you were probably like, this is fantastic. Presents and yeah, holidays, get, this is yeah. great. <laughs> All these lights. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Number nine, how long does it take for you to get ready in the morning? Uh, 30 minutes. That's pretty Now quick, that huh? I'm not in the pageant world. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when you were in the pageant world, how long did it take? Uh, like an hour and a half for sure. I okay, so we've shaved 60 minutes. Full face drag. Yeah, all of it. Like. Nice. And last one, number 10, scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Now that I live in Houston, I would say I'm a good, solid 9.5 because it's really hard to drive around here and all my friends ask me to drive, so. Yeah, I think, is, is Houston, I think it's the fourth largest city in America now? I think it's, is it the third? I think it's the third. I know it's, it usually goes New York, LA, Chicago, and then it's usually all after that, unless they've passed Chicago, I don't know. Okay, by landmass, I think it might be the, yeah. Yeah, I could believe that. I definitely could believe that. Yeah. Okay, well, very good. You're off the hot seat. Congratulations. Awesome. Thanks. Hey, look, this has been so awesome to hear just how fascinating of a life you live and the fact that you literally are living out your dream job, uh, representing the pageant community in the steam fields and and NASA. I mean, how cool is that? And um, did I read that you really want to be an astronaut one day? Is that your goal? Um, okay, so this is a new development in my mind. Um, oh. <laughs> I know that whenever I was um, in pageants, I always thought that being an astronaut would be the best thing ever um, because it's what, I don't know, it's, it's just like kind of the pipe dream for a lot of people when they hear space exploration. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I love my job right now, um, building spacesuits and contributing as an engineer. And I think that now knowing what, actual qualities an astronaut needs. I think going to Mars, specifically into the moon, um, we need astronauts who are trained in very specific fields. Specifically, if we're ever doing long-duration space travel, we'd need a medical doctor to be an astronaut. We'd need a a botanist or a a geologist, people with expertise to be able to do surface exploration. And so right now, I think I'm exactly where I want to be. And if being an astronaut is something that is on the horizon, I definitely wouldn't mind. But um, I think my talent really lies in what I'm doing as a human interface engineer. Well, that awesome. I know you're inspiring a ton of girls. By the way, if they want to follow you on Instagram or Twitter, how can they follow you? Yeah, it's at my first name, underscore my last name. So Paramita, P-A-R-O-M-I-T-A, underscore Mitra, M-I-T-R-A. So that's on Instagram. I use that a lot. Twitter, I'm not as talkative, um, but Instagram is definitely where you can get to know my life a little bit better. 
Yeah, I think that's the case, at least for 2019. I think that's the case for most people. So, hey, really appreciate the time today. I know you've got a lot to do with the spacesuits today and uh, getting back to work. So thanks for taking the time out of your day and uh, certainly look forward to catching up with you in the future. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Paramita Mitra for her time. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, everybody, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, you can follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Hope you have a great week, everybody. See you soon.